Hey, this is the Real Dirt Podcast. I'm here with Justin Jones today. Real Dirt Sunday morning dirt. How you doing, Justin? I'm good. I'm good, Chip. Just got the sun peeking out here coming up. Going to have a nice rainy day here in Oregon. It helped uh, tamp out some of these fires that we've had. Help wrap up the end of the, uh, the harvest here, end of the year. Yeah, man. It's We've hit the dry season down here in Oklahoma. Uh, the fall and winter are drier. This is when we have our fire seasons. It's almost perfect for harvesting cannabis because it just starts to get dry around 1st of October. So if you're lucky enough to be harvesting in October, November, or December, those are really good months for you down here. We call those fine finishing days. Fine. There's fine finishing days. And if you're finishing in the next 10 days here in Oklahoma, which many people are, wow, man, you're going to do really well. That's good. I just was talking to some friends up in uh, western Colorado, and they were finishing uh, everything over there and uh, pulling it down out in the uh, Paonia area. Good valley for growing cannabis there in Colorado. Maybe the only real valley for growing outdoor in Colorado. We've had a couple opportunities to move down to Paonia. I wish I could have had some more time to explore that during our times in Colorado. You know, Paonia was the first, like, name brand weed I was ever I ever heard of. They had a purple or something back in the day. That Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Paonia purple. Yeah. Peabud. Yeah. That was the Peabud, yeah. And they, they lost mm-hmm. it. Nobody's got it. Some people claim they still, but no one's seen it for a long time. Yeah, you know, that's what happens with a lot of those famous strains. That's why, like, I call bullshit on anybody wanting to harvest. I mean, hold on to their strains. Few people have the overall impact to to make a strain happen. And the only way that it happens is through volume of buds produced. And few people can drive that demand. You know what I mean? I totally do. And, you know, as far as that goes, Matt Bickle, good friend of ours, told me about this a while back. Uh, years ago, and we started doing that. And so, you know, our favorite strains, we don't just keep them and try to, try to hoard them. We try to care them let other people enjoy them and then also back up your cuts so if you get a bad bug infestation and you got to remom some stuff or somebody kills your plants or you know there's lots of things can happen and uh this way you can start over and go get your go get your favorite strains back in your library so got to back that up of course you got to hold on to them i guess my real my question is or point is do you have a strain that's been a, a popular long-standing strain in your shop for sure. We definitely what, what do. Is it? What is it? I would say we've got a Kim dog. We have a Kim to four that we've had for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Always sells. Everybody loves it. Um, we've got one of the uh, old school, old school sour diesel strains. And oh, yeah, you got the diesel. original. You guys got yeah. the original for sure. Here's my point is you've got Kim dog and sour D and people come there and buy it at Dank in Colorado. Do you think they would be as possible if there weren't millions of other pounds of Kim Dog and Sour Dean grown in the past 20 years? I think that that plays a major role. And I think that strains, because where we've come from and where we still are in most places, but where we're coming from and moving towards with legalization, people at least now know that they're getting something that's uh, repeatable. And so, you know, back in the day, you'd get... And that's where Kim Dog came from, right? Somebody bought an ounce of weed at a Grateful Dead concert. There were mm-hmm. 10 seeds in the bag. It was the best pot they ever smoked. They had the seeds. They started planting them, right? And so they don't really know what that 
cannabis Back was. To. You have no idea, you know. You, so whatever they said on the uh, on the uh, on the street when you bought it and. It was kind of back then. Back then, KB, yeah, it was just KB. It was just uh, non-Mexican bud, and you know, at the end of the day, now we can enjoy the fact that uh, you can say this is Chem Dog Four, and then you can grow it, and you can grow it the same way every time and put it out there. And so people that like it uh, can go and buy it and get the same thing. And, and if they're, you know, I, it was really dawned on me about 10 years ago when I had started my medical marijuana company in Denver, I had a patient with Crohn's really bad Crohn's. And he told me one time, the worst thing about my Crohn's is that I'll find some cannabis that works and it literally will cure my Crohn's, but I have no idea what it is. I bought it on the street. I don't know what strain it is. They could, it could be the name they said or not. And he, he said, it's almost worse for me to find the bag that like cures my Crohn's. Cause I know I'm going to run out and I can't go get the same stuff again for us back then, the Durban poison that we uh, grew and we still grow, it was a cure for him. And all of a sudden this guy's like, well, I can get the same thing every month. Here's my Crohn's, and now I'm not so stressed out about finding the right medical cannabis. Man, and Kim Dog's not the easiest one to grow either. To, to, to make it consistent and look great, it's not easy. Not necessarily. I think, it, I think it's easier than some of the other gassy strains that we've seen come out of the skunk lines. But uh, where, where did the skunk number one go? That's what I want to know. Oh, uh, man, you know, you can still get it. I mean, I, I bought some seeds several years ago from, from Cincy Seeds. It's still, you can get it. It's still there. I mean, the European skunk one is. Well, the the real answer to that question is that it's everywhere because it was used in pretty much all the background breeding going on for the last 30 years. So if you look at the data on, on the trains, pretty much everything that's got any gas to it's coming out of skunk somewhere yeah you know i've grown these perfect diesel buds in the past and and i've also grown a fair amount of skunk one and super skunk and the diesel really does have the super skunk look that's for sure we're in the world of hybrids now you know so it's uh you never know well they're all hybrids man you know it's uh it's a big conversation we've been having about Indica and sativa and hybrids, and, and, and we just call it all hybrids now. You're never going to convince people that cannabis sativa is just hemp and that cannabis with THC in it is indica. Oh, I shouldn't say never. It, it, it's going to take a few years before people like start talking, stop talking about cannabis in terms of indica and sativa. Well, and as we get some more science involved, I think that'll help. You know, the hemp industry seeing some. Uh, some help from real science, from university science. I just tested a bunch of uh, new hybrids that we're working on in the hemp side of things. You know, I'm able to take those cannabis samples right over to Oregon State University, drop the leaf samples off, get the tests that I, I need to get done. And, and, you know, that was unavailable before, you know, a year and a half ago and really a year ago. And so it's still mostly unavailable to marijuana growers, but uh, it's coming, you know, and as we as we move along with legalization, I think that we'll be able to get the get the science and the real agricultural science guys, uh, you know, the, those that'll become something we can use in the cannabis and the marijuana side of cannabis as we are now starting to in the hemp. But that also says, hey, what's going to happen to these marijuana genetics? 
over the next few years as that kind of science becomes more available and what are we going to see? Are the strains going to get better? You know, right now there's a bunch of hemp breeding going on where you're taking and making uh, triploid hemp plants and the vigor and the production on these plants is, you know, 20 to 40% more than their same diploid siblings. And so what's that mean when you kind of start changing the science on the breeding and, uh, you know, use, using modern techniques and, and really not even necessarily modern techniques, just using traditional plant breeding techniques yeah, uh, I mean, to get better the, the plants. Diploid has been around for a minute. I mean, people have talked about this for a bit, diploid, triploid. Why don't you explain that? Because you've been doing a, a, a little bit of this with, with him. Right, right. So I and, first you know, read about this in David Clark's book, Marijuana Botany, I think, it was written in the 70s. So it, it, it's not new science, no, no, this is not new. And, and, you know, this is not also not necessarily considered GMO either. And that's another conversation that now we've had to have in the hemp industry is, is your hybrid GMO? And is the techniques that we use to feminize seeds in the hemp industry a GMO process or not? And so that's, a, and there's another whole uh whole section of, of talking points. do you have a do you, do you have a is there a 30 second second disclaimer you have for gmo well i mean gmo doesn't necessarily mean it's bad and and you know there's obviously people or companies that have used gmo in what i'd like to say a doctor evil and i'll put my pinky in the corner of my mouth you know if you use gmo to poison on plants that won't kill them and it'll kill the weeds, then, you know, that's maybe kind of Dr. Evil-ish. But uh, GMO, the GMO process has also done some amazing things for us. Like uh, anybody that you know that's a type 2 diabetic that's uh, got an insulin-dependent thing going on, uh, GMO is the reason those guys can uh, live a fairly normal life. Um, that's where they've they found those, uh, that medicine. So anyways, back to the cannabis side of things on the hemp, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, lots of different breeding techniques. And so all of a sudden, uh, we can get a triploid and what is a triploid? So your standard cannabis plant is a, is a diploid, diploid, diploid. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm a stoner. So you have a, a diploid plant. What you do to make a triploid, which the reason we're trying to make triploids is because they are a sterile plant that will not get seed. So they are not able to be impregnated by pollen and create a seed. And on the same side of things, you're also hoping that the pollen that might, that would be produced from those plants uh, might not work to infect another plant to create sterile, sterile male. Yes, and so, and even if you get a, even if you get a hermaphrodite, they do this. Diet, they do this with other crops, right? Like well, this was revolutionary for hops. One of the big reasons that the beer industry has gotten just uh, insane the last thirty years is because they came up with the seedless hops. I think it was the Willamette hops from here in Oregon where that was the first variety of seedless. And what that allowed the farmer to do is push the crop out and harvest it when it's truly ready and and at its full potential. But in hops, to do that, you're risking it going to seed. And if your hops go to seed, you get like a dime on the dollar, okay? So the seedless hops allowed the hops farmer to get bigger production, bigger, you know, more more, uh, hops per acre and better hops 
without accidentally screwing it up and letting it go. And, this, seed. So, and, and, and this started in the 50s, 60s, do you know? No, I think the first ho- seedless hops, it came out of Oregon State, and it was, I think it was more like closer to the 80, early 80s. So the uh, seedless hops was uh, was something that came out of Oregon State, and Oregon State developed that that original Willamette, I believe, the Willamette hops, and they had made that available through the public, edu- you know, the the fact that Oregon State's a land grant university, and so that allowed other hops breeders to go and start breeding projects with seedless. Anyways, what you do here with the with hemp is. We're going for this triploid so that we don't have seeds in the crop. And that way you can grow whatever you want on your plot of land. And I can be right across the street and I can still grow since Amelia essential oil cannabis for CBD or CBG production, these sort of things. And so, you know, as the industry matures, that's going to become something that we want to see. And even if you're in the Midwest where there's a lot of rogue hemp and rogue male cannabis plants, you could still grow a seedless oil crop right so right but it takes a long time and, and you know you can't you can't uh, skirt the, the, the fact that it just takes a certain amount of days to grow plants out and then cross feed them and then grow them back out and then test them and check them and regrow them and check them and test them and you know all these things so something and, i've been and working the, on and right the, now and the, and the flowers there is a they they do have a or reported to reportedly to be larger and more vigorous triploid cannabis, right? Correct? Yes. The plants we're seeing, uh, even if we just look at them from early stage vigor, it's just unbelievable. And I'm hearing 30 to 40% more production, bigger buds, less larf, less leaf, more. So your ratio of a of a usable commodity off of a plant versus, you know, on a triploid is, is looks like it, you're going to have a lot more sellable weight. Um, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And if you have no seeds in there, so, you know, nobody wants to process seeds because it does something weird to the oil and then they have to go through and remediate that. So basically, you know, as a farmer, you're trying to produce the best material for the person that wants to buy it. And so, in the past, we've kind of been like any material produced is fine because there's not enough. Now we're getting to like who's going to produce the best material, what farmers are going to grow it, and then and get it into the right form. And if you don't have to deal with seeds, and if you've got 30% more flower mass over your stems, all these things are exactly what we need the plants to do. But we're also going to hopefully start seeing this creep into the marijuana side of things. And as, as uh, I think as some of the genetics, cannabis genetics hemp guys are looking at, how can we start to look at this over the marijuana side also so that when we do get a lab, when we can go get on a flow citrometer uh, machine and test the diploidy level of a plant to see if it's a diploid or a tetraploid or a triploid, you know, we're going to see this uh, enter over into the marijuana thing. And maybe some of these old genetics that start to dud out over time from clonal, from over cloning and just being, uh, you know, in, the, in that world, we can revive some of these things. And then, you know, again, you know, is it GMO? Isn't it GMO? I mean, you know, truthfully, if you're not using marker-assisted breeding, uh, you know, and looking at mm-hmm. it that way, and you're still using a, you're still using your brain and your eyes and your nose math. to, math, uh, to right. yeah, <laughs> to select strains or select and that's traditional uh, breeding. 
Right, 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 right. Yeah. Hey, man, I this summer we grew a bunch of auto flowers. You know, this is my first like big auto flower year. We planted out cumulatively about twenty thousand auto flower seeds this year, all different types, all bunch of different vendors. And uh, man, I tell you, we got some product from uh, Mephisto Genetics, uh, Three Bears OG, and this is they, they don't pay me to say any of this, guys, for a course. But we all, everyone who saw this plant. We're like, wow, that like genetically modified weed. Like, what the fuck is that? Because, you know, one that like in 65 days it's done, but there's literally no leaf on these flowers. It's the perfect cannabis for extraction. It was all bred with traditional techniques. And I mean, 20 years ago, I saw a big bud that looked very similar, right? These huge buds with just a little bit of leaf on. You know, uh, and that was bred traditionally as well. That was straight Cincy Seeds product, another skunk product. Uh, but you don't have to have genetically modified or use genetically modified technology to breed superior cannabis. You can use science, our current observations of plants, math, uh, yeah. traditional techniques. All of these things have worked for and even the- hundreds of years. Even the work that we've been doing in the last year, you can really, you don't necessarily need the university level agricultural science lab, but it makes things faster and better. And I'll, here's an example. When you're looking for tetrapoids and you're doing a pheno hunt, but you're looking for a tetrapoid, not a duploid, you look at the size of the stomata and the shape of the stomata on the leaf. So if you use a nice microscope, like a $200 microscope these days, and these are all, all these microscopes plug right into your computer and you can go in and capture the screenshots and look at things. Oh, sure, measuring- man. We just got one, like, and we're, yeah. we're getting one for the clone nursery. So anybody can look at any of the clones or any of the weed, make sure there's no mold or mildew or PM or any bugs right. or anything, just right there on the county, $200. Great. Yeah. Look at it. And so what we're doing is we're actually taking and looking at the size and measuring the size and the shape of the stomata to see, and that can tell us what the plate is on it. Okay. So when you're hunting for a tetraploid, you're looking for a different and, and a less round stomata and also the, the size of the stomata is bigger. And so like, the problem like, is, like two, is that three times bigger, you know, you know how much bigger it from what we were working on, the microscope that we had ha- was measuring in pixels. And I don't even know what we don't even give a shit what that size is because what we were doing is saying, okay, this is, a, this has, this stomata is 70 pixels. This is 80. This one's a hundred. This okay. one's 110. This one's 60. And what we're looking at, first of all, we're looking at stomatas that don't have a perfectly round shape. First of all, that's a first uh, indicator that it could be a tetraploid. The problem is most of it falls in this 70 to 90 zone. Okay. And so, you know, you start to, so what we would do is we would use the microscope to get a bunch of the work done and to measure and know, and then we would send all those samples to the lab and find out, yeah, that is, not a tetraploid that is maybe a tetraploid that is a tetraploid and then you know you then you get that data back and you start to say okay i can probably guarantee anything above these 90 pixels is a tetraploid but when you're breeding and you don't and you know again you can't get back the time that it takes 
mm-hmm. you want to know yeah. for sure. So you don't sure. waste six months on, on something that turns out you're wrong. And so you get your tetrapoid stock and then you start breeding, uh, with those plants. And, uh, I guess in layman's terms, they have six sets of, of, uh, DNA. That's what, why it's a tetrapoid. And then a deploid has two. And so when you hybrid the two, six divided by two becomes three and that's where you get your triploid. And then those, because of the three sets, DNA cannot uh, make babies. It's like the donkey and the horse make a mule, right? But then a mule can never replicate the mules at all. <laughs> oh, the mule of cannabis, Justin Jones. We're talking about genetics, uh, <laughs> random uh, uh, other things, but uh, yeah. Well, I finally got that ganja. I finally got that ganja rolled up here for the Sunday morning smoke down. But uh, oh, what are you smoking? No, fun things. What are you uh, smoking on? Sherbado from Archive. Sherbado, that's Sherbert and Dosido, right? Yeah, you know the boys at yeah, Archive totally. love to hit that, oh, hit everything with the with Dosido, Dosido mail. Oh yeah, and, I just uh, uh, I just planted out a huge pheno selection of uh, of Archive Dosido crosses. Fletcher over there's got always running some R and D. And he had a new dosy dough male or a new dosy dough donor he was using um, for his feminized line. And he, uh, we've got Sherba Dosi crossed with dosy dough. Diesel OG face off T1000 Tangy Lemon G Skittles all crossed with the. Uh, that new dosy dough donor. So we're we're excited so, about it. They look great. That's good. I'm sitting here. I've got and talking about you know uh, breeding and and hybrids. I've got a gorilla glue four here from Archive that I grew, and then I also have a duct tape which is gorilla glue four uh, divided by the dosy dough. And so to see like the just the pure gorilla glue four, and then right next to it. You know, it's uh, it's sister, which or you know, half sister, whatever, whatever, with uh, the dosido. They're they're very similar, but yet very different on the terpene profile. That dosido gives everything just a little something. I don't know if it's more magical or it's it's different. It's better. Bigger. It's bigger for sure. It is better. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it, man. You know, we planted out uh, 2,500 of those seeds. And I'm going to have an incredible dosy dough out of it all. I'll be able to pick, pick the dosy dough. And I'm looking for the hybrids too, but uh, man, it, it's, it's exciting just to see it all. That's for sure. Right now, I like the uh, dosy dough face off and the dosy dough SFE back crosses the best. Because right. if you think about, if you think about it, those are almost all just like BX back crosses. Because the face-off is in in the dosy dough, right? And then crossing it back to the face-off, or crossing it back to the SFB. Well, I'll tell you what: it, the the marijuana breeders right now need to uh, need to get hip, and start trying to work work on protecting their uh, IP. They have it because that's going to be the next thing once uh, we get some sort of federal legalization, and guys want to become the next 
Sierra Nevada of marijuana or the next two buck chuck or whatever, people are going to start going to war over their genetics. And I've even had conversations with some guys in California that already want to start working on a Mendocino um, Hamlet and, uh, you know, oh, yeah. Hamlet yeah. on, on names. Oh, yeah, the of, Appalachia, the Appalachia yep. is definitely uh, starting to grow in ideology. Yeah, you know, Calculator right now, a famous Mac line. He's, uh, he is upset that clone dealers are dealing his Mac one strain. He claims just, just recently on the Insta- in his Instagram channel that he's going after some major clone producers in California for selling his Mac one. I don't believe he really has any legs to stand on currently because there's not going to be a court that's going to enforce it. And, you know, also just because like he claims to own a plant doesn't mean he owns anything. No, and it's going right. to come down to the processes too. And so there's a, there's a, a popular hemp breeder here in Oregon and they've already got patents filed on a bunch of things. And one of, uh, one of their patent pendings is on crossing autoflower genetics into photo, full term photo plants. And so if that patent gets issued, anybody that's using that process will have to pay them some money, maybe, right? I mean, everything has to be tried to be enforced. But at the end of the day, they're saying that they own the rights to cross a ruderalis with a, uh, you know, cannabis sativa or whatever and get uh, that early hybrid. Yeah, this is Phyllis. Phyllis is no, no, it's not that one. Uh, the guy that filed that is uh, Oregon CBD. Oregon CBD, but Phyllis. Yeah, they have a, a couple similar, patterns. similar thing going on, right? Phyllis has been collecting data on the different strains of uh, cannabis and trying to relate them to each other to say, okay, yeah, the. Okay, so Phyllis is not involved with the auto flower. Well, where they could become involved in is to who has the the real, true, earliest version of a strain. And so there's a, you know, let's just say Jack or Rare. Okay, it's a famous person and also Mm -hmm. a a strain. If somebody wants to say, look, in order for you to say that that's Jack or Rare, it's got an A, this one, two, three, this terpene profile, and it's got to be grown in Mendo or in this Hamlet, right? So they, they've, they've done that with wine. Obviously, if you grow your grapes in Washington, you can't call it champagne, right? You got to call it spark, white sparkling because it didn't come from France. You're going to see that play out. Part of what Phyllis is trying to do is, is say, try to find those oldest, earliest uh, grandparent genetics or who's got the oldest clone that's not, you know, whatever. We'll see. We'll see how it all comes out. But there's already people patent trying to patent it. I don't think anybody's trying to patent sour diesel. I think they're trying to patent patent, it. You can patent cannabis sativa strains. You can patent him. They're trying to patent the processes to feminize. So if you spray a certain type of uh, silver on your plants then to get a feminized uh, pollen and then you're using that in your breeding that that would be infringement on their IP so yeah again, you know, got to stand up in court and somebody has to enforce them and sure well, sure but I'm just saying that you know hemp has become you know fully legal before marijuana it's you're seeing it already the cannabis, oh there's already uh, patented hemp there's a hemp, hemp people have already received patents for hemp right 
I believe so. I would say yeah. probably yes. But Charles Webb, those guys, they got a patent. They were the first people to get a patent. Probably. Yeah, totally. I'm sure others have by now. It's a little weird thing to do, but yes, go file for a patent if you think you got some special shit, and then go yeah. sue everybody who uses your special shit without your permission. I guess that's yep. the way to do it, right? Well, Most you know, people I guess don't the really best have is... special shit, though. It's just right. normal weed that's hype. Well, right. it, really, it comes down to this. The best advice I could give any of these breeders, and, and I'm not a breeder. We're, we're, we're messing around with some stuff for fun. And maybe it turns out to be something. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're, messing, we're messing around for stuff for fun. How many seeds you got in your seed vault right now? Can you I don't that? know. Uh, a couple okay. hundred. <laughs> Two or three hundred. Um, but, you know, the, uh, at the end of the day, though, what I what the you know, the people that have been breeding in the marijuana side of things, you know, whether you're the guys that wear the funny sunglasses and the fake mustaches at the, at the Emerald Cup or not, because you're trying to not necessarily be above, you know, or be out in the public eye, you've got to start getting into the science and you got to come up with somebody you got to get sort of trust yet. Well, if you don't go the bioscience route, you'll wake up and realize that the guys that did go that route can jump you and go, go five years ahead of you in a short amount of time. You can be scared of that. And I've seen them be scared of going that direction because of, uh, you know, just that Dr. Evil science side of things, but boy, a lot of knowledge out there that's never been applied to cannabis um, from, you know, from our our modern world agriculture. So, yeah, find some science, man. find some science buddies if you're out there breeding and, uh, you know, try to figure out how to do all these things. Because even just getting your uh, genetics into a tissue culture lab, you know, and having them clean them up and do all these things, that can take like up to a year. Yeah, no shit, um, right. And so you can't, you know, if you wait too long and then say, hey, we really do need to take this clone that we've been using forever and get it cleaned, it takes a while. So in California, I think there's a lot of bioscience companies and people have started to jump in on the marijuana side of things. But until it's federally legal, you really won't get the doors opened all the way. But those who have already started something will be ahead. Well, it's been another fine episode with Justin Jones. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Yeah, thank you, Chip. Great talking to you. And we got off on some tangents there with uh, genetics and other things, but that was fun. And uh, we'll circle back and try yeah. to make more sense of that some other day. Yeah, absolutely. If you like this episode or interested in others, please download it at the iTunes. We are The Real Dirt podcast also look us up on spotify and you can check us out at therealdirt.com hey remember if you're ever looking for soil or soilless growing mediums check out growerscoco.com ask for them in your local store and if you're cruising online one day interested in buying some hydroponic or indoor supplies look at cultivatecolorado.com this has been the real dirt love y'all